I am uh, reading a book uh, currently about a guy named Joe Moser. He was uh, from Washington State, and he was a, a P-38 bomber pilot in World War II. And he tells the stories of bombing in Europe and of being shot down over France in 1944, a couple of months after D-Day, and of being taken to the Luftwaffe. I'm sorry, being taken to... Um, uh, I don't mean, the, the, I, that's not what I meant to say. Being captured by the Germans and taken to the, um, uh, uh, forgot the name of the, the concentration camp. It starts with a W. Uh, anyway, he's put in, uh, put in one of the concentration camps. I forgot the name of it. Uh, uh, doesn't start with a W, Buchenwald. I don't know why, I, j I couldn't think of it. <coughs> anyway, while he was there, one day, uh, in this starvation mode, they were doing labor and so forth. And there were factories within the boundaries of the concentration camp at Buchenwald. It was, uh, it was uh, about a couple hundred acres. And um, they had factories that were making ammunition and so forth there. And suddenly one day he heard a familiar sound. And he looked up and he saw a bomber, an American bomber, because the Americans were drawing closer and closer to Germany. And then there was another one and another, and there was a whole wave of about 150 bombers. And they began to bomb the factory there, the factory buildings there in Buchenwald's camp. Now, they understand the Americans had no idea that there were American POWs there in that camp. No idea. They didn't know at all a lot of the things that were going on there. But as I'm reading this book, and it's most a fascinating, wonderful book, uh, he says as these incendiaries begin to blow up around him and as shrapnel and fires begin to spit around and spread everywhere. He, Joe was a raised Catholic and he said, I looked up and said, Holy Mother of God, save me and began to pray to the Virgin Mary. And when I read that, I thought to myself, how amazing that this one woman chosen by God for this most absolutely unique role in human history did something that nobody else has ever did, chosen for a role nobody else has ever been chosen for. What different perspectives we have about Mary. I mean, many people worship her. Many people adore her. Uh, everyone respects and admires Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And um, I want to take a couple minutes before the children come to do their program for us to think about several aspects some of it's theology, but I hope some of it can make us think about our own roles and our own challenges as well. The first has to do with a question that Jesus asked. I don't have any uh, sermon PowerPoints here. Um, okay, thank you. The first one has to do with a question that Jesus himself asked, and this is in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple verses there. And this is an amazing question, and it's also an amazing answer. Personally, I would never have asked this question, and I think it's an absolutely uh, weird question to ask, and yet this is what happened. The setting is in verse 20 of Mark 3. It says, Jesus entered a house, and, he, and he, a crowd gathered, and he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So uh, he's... he's teaching and healing up in Galilee and these great crowds. It says crowds came from clear down south of the Dead Sea. I mean, crowds were coming from all over to Jesus. And uh, 
they were, you know, crushing in on him. He had trouble even getting loose to take time to eat. And so when his mother, Mary, at home and his brothers and sisters heard of, of this situation, they, as any mother wants to do, decided any mother uh, that I've ever met, they want to know their kids get enough to eat. And they, Mary took off with a contingent of some other children to go visit her son, Jesus, and they come to him, and this is in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside of his house. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and so they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now, at that point, I, David, would probably say, Tell him I'll be right out. It's so strange to me. That they brought news into Jesus and said, your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus said, who's my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Is that not a strange question to ask in a context like that? And then even stranger is his answer as he looks around him at all these people who are pressed in tight, who are eager to learn, who are repentant of their sin who are just drinking up the words of God that he has brought to them. And he looks around at them and he says, I'll tell you who my mother is. I'll tell you who my brothers are. You folks right here. That's what he says. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and brother and sister. So we sing all these wonderful songs about Mary, and we very much respect and appreciate her role and so forth. But no matter what your view about Mary, this kind of throws you for a loop. When Jesus himself says, uh, my mother, my brothers, that's, that's all you folks. Those people who sincerely trust God and seek to do his will. And so this says to me that the point Jesus is making is not about the earthly bond of family, but about the spiritual bond of family. And he's saying the one trumps the other, that the spiritual family is truly the reality of family more than the physical. I've heard many of you say to me, uh, this church family is closer to me than my own family. I've heard that a million times. I have more of a bond, more of an understanding, more of a relationship with folks who have no genetic kinship to me, but we have a unified purpose. And so that purpose and that sense of purpose and unity is really what creates family. And this is what Jesus is simply saying. And by the way, the, the whole idea of family, which we use and which we appreciate to the core of our being, is not of earth. It is a heavenly idea. It is a heavenly concept. And it tells us there in Ephesians 1 that all the families on earth get their identity from the Father and the idea and the reality of family in heaven. I don't have time to get into it. But I, I want to um, go to another place where Jesus said something a little bit similar. This is in Luke chapter 11. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is your mother. And Jesus replied, the Greek text uses a, a word that's a combination of two words, noon. It's the word for no. But it's stronger than just no. It means no, yes, it means no, but rather instead. 
it's, a, it's, it's, taking the one, it's taking the flow of thought and completely turning it on its head and reversing it and sending it back the other direction. It's, in other words, it's a, it's a negative preposition along with the negative word. No, but rather, now first of all, just the idea when someone would say, blessed is Mary, blessed is your mother, Jesus, and he would say, no, that's pretty startling to just to start with. But he says, no, instead, blessed are you folks or anyone out there who hears the word of God and obeys the word of God or who does the will of God. Kind of like what he said to the people in the house up in Galilee. Very similar idea. Oh, Jesus, it's so wonderful. Blessed is your mother. And he said, no. Blessed are the people who want to really hear what I have to say and obey it and follow it and believe it and teach it and receive it and spread it and incorporate it. Those are the blessed people. Um, So something to give us pause and to think about that even when people uh, in Jesus' lifetime and in Jesus' presence sought to exalt his mother, he stopped them and said, hold it, hold it. Be careful what you mean with the word blessed. Be careful in your exaltation of my mother, blessed, wonderful, my mother that I have. Because she's not really, the fact that she's my mother does not set her apart as blessed. But if she hears my word and obeys it, that sets her apart as blessed. Okay, here's another question. Now this one, as I'm asking, this is the question I'm asking. But I'm asking this question because um, if, we, if we follow along here, uh, the brothers of Jesus who came and see him are referred to in all four Gospels, by the way. They're referred to in the book of Acts. They're referred to in Paul's writings that Jesus had brothers. Always it's the same word, this Greek term, Adelphos. And I can guarantee you that that word has been... Has has had uh, linguistic gymnastics performed upon it uh, many times through the ages as people, for various uh, reasons, have wanted to somehow figure out how that Jesus could have, could, would not have any earthly siblings so that Mary herself would have be able to remain a virgin in her whole life in perpetuity because this is a doctrine of the church that we call the Catholic Church. And so her brother, his brothers are referred to, always using the same word. And at issue is a doctrine that the Catholic Church, or a dogma that the Catholic Church refers to as the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. Um, this has been given expressions in different ways. Back in the 600s, one of the popes, a guy named Pope Martin, decreed that the virginity of Mary was perpetual in that it preceded it that it went prior to the birth of christ it uh it remained during the birth of christ and remained forever after the birth of christ and um and this has the whole issue of of this wraps itself around the whole issue of trying somehow to preserve christ from sin because this naughty problem is that through our humanity Somehow, seemingly through the procreation of parents to children, this inner human nature, which is stained with sin and, and, and 
compromise is passed down from father to son. Ephesians chapter 1 says, we are by nature, fusai, we are by nature children of wrath. By nature means in the natural state with which we are born, we have a problem. Before a person, before a kid has ever said something or done something wrong, their tendency is already there. And this is what the scripture teaches us. And so somehow or other, if God was going to bring Jesus into this human family, he had to deal with that. He had to circumnavigate that problem or that issue. Um, and so this idea that Mary was not only a, a virgin prior to his birth, but therefore must remain perpetually in that state um, has been given voice to and has become a doctrine in part of the church uh, of Christ for many, many years. And so when you read, for example, in Mark 6, when it says that um, Jesus went left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, and when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed, and they said, where did this man get these things? In other words, wow, where did this, where did this astounding ability to teach us about things that we don't ever heard about? Where did he get that from? Um, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and, Sim and Simeon or Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So the idea or the question, my question is, what does this word mean, brothers? If it means, as uh, we would typically use it, the surface obvious notion of brothers, meaning shared biology, then uh, it could not be that Mary remained a virgin the rest of her life. By the way, I, wanna, I hope that anybody will understand this. We all have Catholic friends um, or possibly friends in the Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox. Um, some of us have family members who are Catholic, many people that we know and love who would disagree with us over this uh, doctrine, over this person and her role, that of Mary. This is not in any way an attempt to bash anybody or to bash any particular part of, of the Christian faith or, or anything. But this is a dividing line between the Protestant and the Catholic theology. So if you, if you care about that sort of thing, just pull your chair up and gather around here and listen because this is, this is a theo theological matter that, that explains God and his dealings with man. And what the Bible tells us is that God had a strategy for dealing with the origin of sin being or the passing, the passing on of sin from one person to another. And that is that he would implant his nature within Mary. And so this child would be not human or divine, but human and divine. But the human part, uh, because of, of not being having a father and a mother in the, in the same way of an egg and a sperm being reunited together, that, that because it was a different process, that interrupted the flow of this, of this sinful or corrupt nature. And so my point then is that you don't have to do anything with the word brother. You can let the word brother be the word brother, and it is always used. I did some research about this, just my own personal self, and everywhere you read and everywhere you look, this term brother is used in the Greek language, even outside of the New Testament, Unless it's used completely symbolically, in which it's very obvious, 
you know, if I say, Brother Will, it's good to see you again, brother. Uh, you all know that I'm not talking about biology. But other than that, Adelphos, this would be the part of the word Philadelphia. Uh, it means brother. doesn't mean cousin. It doesn't mean foster or half or, or, or partial uh, sibling. <coughs> it means uh, someone who shares a set of parents. <coughs> um, and, and so uh, my, my point is that in the, even though there's been a lot of uh, gymnastics done to try to give different means, meanings to this word, for example, in the New Testament, it talks about a Mary, besides the, the, the mother of Jesus, um, who attended the mother of Jesus at the cross. His name was also Mary, and she had sons. And, and for example, St. Jerome, way back in the 4th century, said, oh, that was her sister. Mary had a sister named Mary, and therefore these kids were not the, the kids of Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were the kids of Mary, the sister of the mother of Jesus. Therefore, they're Jesus' cousins. Adelphos doesn't mean brother, it means cousin. And so forth. My question is simply, what does it mean? If it means brother, then Jesus had brothers and sisters, as the scripture plainly says, not only um, by saying that Jesus was the firstborn, which is a typical way of saying, oh, there's some more who followed, but also specifically in the Gospels, we're told that, jo that Joseph withheld sexual relationships with Mary, quote, until after the child had born. And so the child had been born. So these are indications from the scripture that, um, that Mary, if I could say it like this, was not a supernatural person who had a human baby. She was a very human person who had a supernatural baby. The Catholic theologians, at some point, to protect the perpetual virginity of Mary, had to back up another notch or add another layer. And so they came up with, this was until the 1800s, the Immaculate Conception of Mary, which means that somehow the grace of God acted in her life so that she had no taint of original sin upon her, even prior to the birth of Jesus. And then there are, of course, some who have suggested that, well, this would have had to imply to Mary's parents to prevent her from getting original sin. Surely it would have had to also apply, and you can see how that, that chain of reasoning goes. There's no stopping it because uh, it's... It's, it's not the, what the scripture, there is not one bit of teaching in the scriptures from which we as Protestants turn to for our theology. There's absolutely no suggestion in the scriptures of the perpetual virginity of Mary or that these earthly brothers and sisters that Jesus had were not children of Mary and Joseph, to, Joseph together. Um, that is not based on the Bible. Okay, let's move on because I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to say it in a very simple way. Uh, this what helps me to carry this thought in my head. God conceived the baby when Mary said, how can this be? The angel said, well, that's, that's it's all God. The power of God will come upon you. The power of God will overshadow you. This holy child that will be born will be called a son of the Most High. So God conceived, and I'm not, I, I can't explain or understand, and this is part of the miraculous and under, 
unexplainable part of the biology of it. But God conceived the baby. Mary carried the baby. It is the, it is the conception by the Holy Spirit that enables it to the, Jesus to be born, uh, uh, avoiding the issue of human corruption or human sin. He did not have a human father. He had a human carrier of a mother, but he did not have a human father. But that human carrier, that human mother, gave to him the gave to him all of the components of the of the physical body and the human nature that we all that was a very normal part of life. And so this was done so that he could be human with us and could then achieve a substitution. Apart from that, there, there could be no substitution. In other words, if something was going to substitute for the human humanity, it had to be a human. It had to be a human being. You can't substitute a cow for a redemption of a person and so forth. Uh, you know, uh, through the history, the, the, the artists and the musicians, these are probably paintings from the Middle Ages somewhere. Uh, we've always been absolutely intrigued, and, and uh, this is the uh, a painting of the Annunciation or the, the, the moment when the angel pronounced to Mary that she was going to have a child. Some of these, you know, we might look at and say, oh, my goodness, that's not what I conceive of as the Virgin Mary, but these are simply... Um, ideas that people have had of her blessedness, of her beauty, and uh, and so forth. Here's the question that I want to just make three quick points about. First of all, how do we relate to her? We all we all express, I'm sure, a great sense of awe and appreciation and admiration for Mary. But what can what can how do we relate to her? Well, let me just start here. First of all, many of us are parents, and so was Mary. And this was a child, a baby, that had humanity like any other baby. And as he grew, just like any other human baby, babies, even though it says that he was without sin, he still caused his mom frustration at times, as any child does. And he caused her jubilation at any time, just like any child does. If you don't think that Jesus ever, if you don't think Mary was ever frustrated at Jesus, Read Luke chapter 2, verse 48, when she said to him in the temple, Why have you treated your father and me like this? Didn't you know we'd be out looking for you? Did you not think? She was very frustrated. It doesn't say that Jesus sinned, but his mother at the same time was very disappointed that he could not have thought about their reaction to the fact that he wanted to stay behind. But, but here's my point in that she was a normal human being with whatever great grace God had given to her and blessed her with. She was a normal human being with a baby. And it says not only that she was, as I said, at times perhaps frustrated with him as any mother would be or any father, but also there were times where she was so filled with awe, so filled with wonder at this child. And it says in Luke 2.19 that she just sat there and she just took it in. And she just pondered and she tried to project forward and to think of the implications and the ramifications and the greater and good and greater things that would happen through and because of her child she was paying attention to who he really was and so i just want to say to those of you who are parents with younger children especially this is a way that you can relate to mary mary paid attention to her baby she pondered in her heart how to be a good mother to him and she just didn't parent on the fly and say, oh, 
Oh, you're hungry, huh? Well, let's see if we have any food. No, she said, let's get some food so that when you are hungry, we won't have to go looking for She prepared and did and thought things out. So this is uh, just simply a note of a, of a way as one human to another we can relate to her. But, of course, Jesus didn't remain a child. He grew up. And I love the story in John chapter 2 where Mary was right there at his side because this was her, per, this was her practice. Uh, she, I don't think she followed Jesus around, but at the same time, she knew where he was and she knew what he was doing. And she was engaged with his life. And it just happened, at least in this one occasion, when his very first time for his public ministry or his public for, for, for a miracle to happen, Mary was right there by, the, by his side. And, and I, I love this story uh, uh, of how he acted as if he didn't want her around. So typical, often, of an adult child when their parent's trying to stay engaged with them and the kid's trying to keep their, their parents at an arm's length. You don't need to know everything that's going on. Just, just don't be breathing down my neck right now. And the parents like, uh, uh, call me when you get there, and, you know, and all this, all this kind of stuff. And so we have this moment in Luke or in John chapter two. We have this moment where Mary comes up to Jesus. This was at the wedding, and she says, "Jesus, they're out of wine. What are you going to do? They're out of wine." And and, G, and G, Jesus says, it's, it's, a, it's, a interest, it's an interesting expression in the Greek text that, um, that, that John writes, where the, the NIV puts it very nicely, very kindly. It says, woman, what do I have to do with you? Um, what to me and to you, is what he says. Kai emoi, kai soi. What, what, and, um, and, it means like it means give me some space, mom. That's what it means. What it what it? Why would you think that I want to be involved here? Why are you breathing down my neck? And it seems like it's a point of friction. It seems like that Jesus is saying, I don't need you here to run my business. This is my ministry. God has called me to go home and you know plant some, go home and gather eggs. <coughs> and what does Mary do? What is Mary's response at that point? I think it's I think it's it's very telling. She just goes, she says, okay, okay, okay. And then she goes over to the caterers of the wedding. She says, anything he tells you to do, you do it. Like she was not given up on Jesus. She was not discouraged by the fact that he kind of shoved her to the side. Didn't bother her at all. She had complete confidence in him. She had absolute love for him. Nothing that happened or that he did was going to be discouraging to her. Um, her optimism and her faith influenced uh, w was very influential. And so I want to say to you, uh, those who are parents who have parents of adult children, and maybe they're pushing you to the, to the arm's length, or maybe far beyond that. Maybe they cut you off. Maybe they've already said that a long time ago, and basically they don't call you, they don't show up, you don't know what's going on, and they don't want you to know what's going on. And it's very, very, very difficult to stay engaged in their life. I know that is the case of many families. That, uh, that just like, you know, Mary, when you come to your son or your daughter, they say, what do you have to do with me, woman? I, I want to just encourage you by saying this. Just like Mary kind of flipped, 
circumnavigated, flipped off and went over here and said, there's, there's a way that you can get around the distance that they impose and they can't stop you and that is to pray. Nobody can stop you from praying for them. And praying is staying engaged. When you're praying for someone, you're thinking about them, you're thinking about their situation, you're thinking about their needs, you're thinking about their temptations, you're thinking about their challenges, and you're engaged. And you're pouring out your love, not to them, but for them, to God, who has the power to influence them. So stay engaged with them, just like Mary did, even when Jesus was an adult. Uh, here's, a, here's a verse that that just reminds us of when we have adult children who, uh, who seem and act as if though they are our enemy. Here's, um, here's what Jesus said. You just keep doing good to them. It doesn't mean that you cater to their every whims. It doesn't mean you let them bully you. But it does mean that even if they cut off relations from you, even if you don't consider them their enemy, if they're acting like your enemy, then, then we know how to treat them. You pray for them, it says. Okay, here's number three. This is, a, this, is, this is just unbelievable, to have your kid die. Some of you have gone through this, to lose your child. In her case, she was an eyewitness. She was right there, right there beside him at the cross. And she saw all of this, and her faith did not waver. When I say faith, Mary had come to believe in Christ, in his divinity, as surely you would when the angel came and told you who it was that you carried into birth. And you know, it seems as if some of the brothers of Jesus who early in his ministry said he's crazy, fully after the resurrection of Jesus came around and became ardent followers and disciples of his, such as Jude that Josh talked about last Sunday. But that didn't happen until after the resurrection. Mary was there long before the resurrection. She was there through the crucifixion. And what she went through was a most traumatic and a bitter experience that any parent could ever go through. To see your ch son, your child, brutalized and not be able to do anything about it. To see your child actually put to death and not be able to stop it or do anything about it. And yet, my point is simply this. When the book of Acts opens... And it says they were gathered there in a house, all of them together, the believers. And Jesus had just ascended and gone back to the Father. And he said, you wait, I'm going to send a Holy Spirit. I'm going to, there was Mary, right, with the rest of the group. Specifically, it points out to her. And I'm just saying simply this. Maybe this is her greatest legacy of all to us. Not the Breath of Heaven song that, that Rachel sang so beautifully a while ago. The moment when the angel came and said, God's going to do something amazing. Maybe it wasn't that that was her greatest moment. Maybe it was waiting in that house and saying, I know this isn't finished. and My soul has been through many a trial and many a hardship, and I've cried many a bitter tear. I've had many of a, uh, of, of a moments of nightmare when I, when I see my son being killed, but nothing is able to stop this faith that I have in his mission, in his message, and I'm going to respond to him as any other human being. You know, if, if Mary had been immaculately conceived herself so that she had no stain of taint or taint of sin on her, she wouldn't have needed a Savior. 
But she did need a Savior, just like you and I need a Savior. And she was there believing and receiving the message that came out of the death on the cross, which was a redemption of her soul and the forgiveness of her sins, the same as all the rest of us. That's our need, and that's, um, you know, that's uh, where every human being stands. And I think in that, in that slender alley, we can, we can press shoulders up against Mary and realize that for all of the, this uniqueness about her, she was one of us. And she responded in the way that you and I need to respond so that we can also experience the same salvation. If you've never done that, I ask you, I uh, urge you to um, don't just put it off and don't just say, yeah, 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 I know. Someday I'll get right with God and I'll ask Christ to be my Savior and I'll believe in all that. Right now, I'm just kind of charging full, full speed ahead. That's not, that's not wise. It's a not wise way to live life. Heavenly Father, uh, this is an amazing woman, and there's a lot for us to think and to learn as we, as we ponder her. <clears throat> but what we see is her example that didn't, um, that didn't allow the uniqueness of her situation to go to her head at all. She too humbly waited for your spirit, just as we must wait for your spirit, just as we must pray and seek as we do right now, asking you to fill us that we may be not followers of Mary or worshipers of Mary or prayers unto Mary, but that we may be like Mary in coming before you and receiving the salvation that only you can give. In the name of Christ we pray.